Today I'm going to answer some questions about diabetes, explain if somebody really has to do more cardio to get leaner, and answer a question about soldiers eating 5,000 calories a day today on Body Performance. I'm Steve Torano. Welcome to Body Performance, the podcast offering accurate information about weight loss, fitness, and bodybuilding, helping you reach your goals so you can have the body you've always wanted. Today, we're going to answer some Instagram questions. Sammy had a question about insulin, blood sugar, type 2 diabetes, and I'm sure we've all heard about this. Let me see if I can give you a quick summary about insulin, what it does, and then talk about its impact. Insulin is a key player in developing type 2 diabetes. This is the type of diabetes we can prevent. It's the type of diabetes that you typically hear about in the news, on TV, in the media, because people are overweight. Insulin is a vital hormone. You can't survive without it, and it regulates blood sugar or glucose in the body. And it's a very complex process, but here are some of the high points. The food you eat is broken down into blood sugar. Blood sugar enters your bloodstream, which signals the pancreas to release insulin. Insulin helps blood sugar enter the body's cells or muscles so it can be used for energy. Insulin also signals the liver to store blood sugar for later use. As blood sugar enters the cells or muscles, the levels in the bloodstream decrease, signaling insulin to decrease as well. Also, lower insulin levels alert the liver to release stored blood sugar so energy is always available even if you haven't eaten for a while. That's when everything works smoothly. But again, it can get out of whack based on people's eating habits as well as exercise habits. So when it's out of whack, a lot of blood sugar enters the bloodstream. The pancreas pumps out more insulin to get blood sugar levels into the cells or into the muscles. Over time, cells stop responding to all this insulin. They become insulin resistant. The pancreas keeps making more insulin to try to make cells respond. Eventually, the pancreas can't keep up and blood sugar keeps rising. Lots of blood sugar in the bloodstream is very damaging to the body and needs to be moved into the cells as soon as possible. There's lots of insulin, too, telling the liver and the muscles to store blood sugar. When they're full, the liver sends the excess blood sugar to fat cells to be stored as body fat. Yep, weight gain. And this chain of reaction sets the stage for pre-diabetics and type 2 diabetes. And I'm sure you've heard about people who end up with diabetes and blindness or diabetes and they have to have hands and feet or arms and legs amputated. This is because as you eat sugar and enters the bloodstream, your blood begins to get thick. It begins to get like, let's say, pancake syrup, just to make an analogy. So as it thickens, your blood doesn't pick up, carry and deliver oxygen well to parts of the body your eyes, your extremities, things like this. So this is one of the key issues or problems when somebody is pre-diabetic or has type 2 diabetes. There's poor oxygen delivery to parts of the body. And this is why it can be very dangerous when somebody is pre-diabetic. Their body isn't getting oxygen. Parts of their body are not being oxygenated. Therefore, they're not being healthy. 
Therefore, there's a deterioration in their performance. Their eyes don't work as well. They can't see as well. Their fingers and feet begin to tingle because the sensation of feeling begins to diminish. And these are some of the problems associated with, again, high sugar levels in the bloodstream. The solution, force your body to utilize that sugar. What does that mean? It means exercising. It doesn't necessarily mean just because you're overweight, you're going to have diabetes. It means that the sugar in the blood is not being utilized because it's not being required by the body. So even if you're overweight, if you start exercising, that'll begin to stave off type 2 diabetes. Improving your diet will also help decrease insulin resistance. It'll also improve the amount of calories you're eating and the composition of the calories you're eating. And all these things that are so simple to do will prevent, stave off, and actually reverse type 2 diabetes. Losing weight, exercising, and a healthier diet, it's as simple as that. Sammy, I hope that gives you some insights on diabetes and insulin resistance. Craig asked a great question. He says, I hear repeatedly on bodybuilding channels that if you perform the same exercise for the same amount of reps and sets with the same weight, you'll get no more adaptation from it after three weeks. Is this true? Will I not see any changes for three weeks? That's a great question, and here's the answer. These people who come up with these concepts are idiots. Changes in the body happen slowly. All of a sudden, you're going to become used to your workout in three weeks? I hardly think so. Let's say you do the same thing for three weeks. The first week, the weight is relatively hard to handle and the reps are hard to complete. That's your first workout. That's your new workout or whatever it is you've changed. That workout didn't make you immediately stronger. I'm sorry. The second week feels about the same as the first. You're working and you're grinding because strength and adaptation don't happen with two workouts. The third week, the weight is maybe a little easier to handle and the reps are a little easier to complete. This is how adaptation really works. All three weeks were necessary for those subtle changes to occur. Where people screw up is that they then change their workouts before they really allow the exercises and the workouts to truly make them bigger and stronger. And then the whole process starts all over again. They start new exercises with new weights because they're unsure because it's a new exercise and they start training and then all of a sudden they're going, gee, I really don't see any changes in the mirror and I don't feel any stronger. Let me go back to the original workout that I started out with and now they're no stronger than they were when they started that first workout because they haven't done anything consistently for more than three weeks. As I've always said, if you're brand new to lifting, anything will cause a change. But even doing the same routine or exercises and never changing, meaning same exercises week after week after week, you would get stronger and bigger simply by training harder, which means more weight, more reps, and more sets. Again, there are some good exercises, there are great exercises, and there are the best exercises. Some exercises should not be taken out of your lifting routine because they are the best you can mix it up once in a while, but those are the best exercises, and if you don't do them, you're not going to get the best results. If you do something else that's not too bad, your results are going to be not too bad. 
But every time you flip-flop and change your routine around, the impact it's making on your body is not that impressive. Because remember, all we're trying to do is flex a muscle with intensity, causing microtrauma on the muscle, which then gets repaired, making you bigger and stronger. So every time you change your routine to a different exercise, and it's not quite as intense as the great or the best exercises, the results you're going to get are not going to be as effective. Now, this is true if you're a guy who's trying to get big and strong, or just a woman who's trying to just get in shape and tone up their rear end. It's the same. The basics work. They work all the time. They never change. I have not changed my routine in the last 20 years. And over those last 20 years, my strength and size have increased. And that's because I do all the hard exercises and they work. They're hard to do, but they give you the best results. So if you want the best chest exercises or the best chest routine, bench press with free weights, incline with the free weights, do dumbbell flies, do dumbbell bench press. It doesn't get any better than that. You want to do cable crossovers? By all means, have at it. Not bad to change it up once in a while. Keeps it fresh. Keeps it interesting. Do too many cable crossovers, you're going to lose size and strength, and the dumbbells aren't going to be as easy. Use a hammer strength or a Smith machine to bench press? Sure, do that once in a while. But you know what? Your regular free weight bar bench press or bar incline bench press is going to go down, along with your size and your strength. It's just as simple as that. Jesse asks an interesting question about soldiers and them eating 5,000 calories a day, which is something I never really thought about. I told him 5,000 calories a day is a huge amount of calories for somebody to take in. But it's hard to compare a soldier who's marching or on the move sometimes 24 hours a day with no sleep at all to the average person who exercises one hour a day three to five times a week. Naturally, the military wants to make sure soldiers don't go hungry so they can work, think, possibly fight, and definitely survive. For the average person, 5,000 calories a day would be way too much. And again, you're thinking about combat. A guy is stuck out in the field. A woman is out there. They're fighting, and all of a sudden, they need food. You're not going to give them cheese and crackers. You're going to give them something that's high in calories that's going to sustain them until they can get back to base or, again, replenish their supplies. But when you talk about even active people, athletes, even professional athletes, 5,000 calories a day would be excessive. That is unless you're trying to become a sumo wrestler. Those guys eat 7,000 to 10,000 calories a day, and you know what they look like. So even with just that example, you can see that 5,000 calories a day is way too much for even elite athletes and definitely too much for the average person. If the average guy who is a bodybuilder ate that many calories, he would begin to gain weight. I would guess that the average professional bodybuilder goes from 235 to 250 pounds during contest training or contest season to probably 275 to 300 pounds in the off season, again, depending on their height and weight, uh, they probably eat 4,000 calories a day because, man, they are just so tired of eating nothing while getting ready for a show. And then they cut back to probably, I'm guessing, 2,200 to 2,500 calories a day to get ready for a show while doing tons and tons of cardio. If you've ever seen, let's say, Jay Cutler's meal preparation, it's chicken and rice and broccoli, chicken and rice and broccoli, 
fish, rice, and broccoli. Those are not high caloric meals, and he'll have six or seven of those a day. That's his contest diet to get down to whatever weight he needs to be at. But if the average person or the average guy who's a bodybuilder ate 5,000 calories a day, he would begin to gain weight very rapidly. Have you ever heard that urban myth that Michael Phelps, when he was winning all those Olympic medals, ate 8,000 calories a day? That's complete bullshit. He would be as fat as a sumo wrestler or a lineman in the NFL. Where that urban myth came from and why somebody created it is beyond me. If I was creating a rumor about myself, it wouldn't be about how much I ate. That's for damn sure. It would be something more exciting. So don't believe social media posts. When you see The Rock with a stack of 10 pancakes and he says, carb loading time because I'm going to hit the gym, don't believe for a minute that he eats like that. It's just a meme so he can stay in the public eye. Matthew asks this question, Steve, I'm running 20 kilometers per week, which is about 12 miles. Do you reckon I need to worry about what I eat to stay lean? So naturally I ask him, how lean are you now? Or a better question that I asked him is, do you like how lean you are right now? And he replied, yeah, I could definitely be leaner. So what I told him applies to probably just about everybody listening to this podcast who wants to get leaner, tighter, or have more of a vacuum-packed look. Right now, you're at equilibrium. Your calorie intake is about equivalent to your calorie utilization, meaning calories in equals calories out. 20 kilometers is about 12 miles a week. If you run four days a week, that's three miles a day, which is good cardio for people who work out, have jobs, families, and limited time. So I told him, so unless you have more energy and time to do more cardio, to burn more calories, it might be easier just to decrease your daily calorie intake a bit. And this is true for everybody who's trying to lose weight and get in shape and doesn't have more time to spend in the gym or doing cardio on the weekends. This is because to burn another 700 calories for the week, you conservatively probably have to run at least another 10 miles. Again, and that's a conservative number. Eating 200 less calories a day for five days would be a thousand fewer calories for the week. And it's a hell of a lot easier than walking, jogging, and running another 7, 10, 15 miles a week. Just cut out the food and drink you know you shouldn't be eating, and the additional weight will come off. Does it take discipline? Yes. Does it take a sacrifice? Yes. Are there going to be times you're going to want something sweet and you're going to have to neglect yourself or refuse to give in? Yes. Hey, welcome to the game. Nothing great comes easily. Like the saying goes, if it were easy, everybody would do it. But more accurately, if it was easy, it wouldn't be worth it. Because it is easy, but not everybody does it. And the last question is from my friend Jackie, who just sent me this text while I'm doing this podcast. If you're intermittent fasting, she asks, do you have to watch your calories? And I said, absolutely. Just because you're not eating for 12, 14 hours a day doesn't mean you don't have to count your calories. Because remember, one day of fasting is not going to cause you to lose weight. Weight loss or weight gain is the average of what you're eating and burning up over days and more accurately, weeks and months. 
So this great fad of intermittent fasting, if that works for you, that's great. But think in terms of the average person burning about 60 calories per hour during normal daily activities. So if you're fasting for 10 hours a day, you've burned about 600 calories. This means you have 14 hours left in the day to eat. Okay, well, during those 14 hours, you're going to burn about 840 calories. Again, just from normal daily activity. So with the intermittent fasting and then the other 14 hours, you're going to burn about 1,440 calories. So that's your baseline as to then determine how much you get to eat during that 14 hours of eating. Eat more than 1,440 calories, you'll gain weight. Eat less than 1,440 calories, you'll lose weight. So regardless of your intermittent fasting, use this calculation. We burn about one calorie a minute or about 60 calories an hour. Take 24 hours a day, multiply it by 60, and you get about 1,440 calories. If you're a bigger guy, you might end up with 17 or 1800 calories. If you're a small woman, it might be 11 or 1200 calories. But you have to do the math. Take into consideration how many calories you burn for a 24 hour period. And then, regardless of how long you fast, think about the number of calories you're eating during your eating hours. And then you can do the math as to whether you're running a calorie surplus or a calorie deficit. If you or somebody you know needs help with weight loss, fitness, bodybuilding, or diet, reach out, give me a shout. You can find me on Instagram or Facebook, or you can share the podcast with them. I appreciate the efforts. I appreciate your help. I appreciate your support. Remember, there is no easy way, but there is a right way. I'm Steve Tarano, and this is Body Performance.